This is Daryl Wood, host of Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show on Faith Talk 1500. First, let me say this show is your show. That's why no matter what I discuss or which guests I interview, your input is valued. If it's in the news, on TV, or at the movies, whether political, social, economic, or whatever, at some point I'm talking about it on Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show, Monday through Thursday from 4 to 6 p.m. on Faith Talk 1500. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real Life Christian Church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. So I call this message, What About Doubt? We're going to look at doubt, and we're going to look at the Word of God in John chapter 20. In John chapter 20, beginning in verse 19, the Word of God says, In the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. So the disciples, after Jesus' resurrection, were locked behind closed doors by their own choice. Because the chief priests, the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious leaders had gotten rid of Jesus, and they were his disciples, and they were next. And so they're locked behind closed doors. And Jesus appears. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands, his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. So now these guys are ecstatic. And now when Jesus appears and says all this to us, well, he goes on to say, again, he said, Peace be with you as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. And when he appears and says all this to his disciples, Thomas isn't there. And I don't know really where he is, but I can speculate a little bit. I can speculate as to where Thomas was. Again, I read this in commentaries, and this is only speculation, but maybe Thomas was out for a walk, kind of feeling sorry for himself. Can you feel Thomas? You know, he's out for a walk, has his very somber look on his face, hands in his pockets, face down, saying to himself, I left everything for him, man. And I thought, I thought he was the one. How could I have been so stupid? And people walk by him, and they say... Thomas? (laughs) Is that you, Thomas? Man, why sit down, man? What's going on, Thomas? Come on. Everything okay? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'll make it through. Kind of weepy, you know what I mean? So he gets back to where the disciples are staying. Well, verse 24 of John 20. Now, Thomas, called Didymus, which means the twin, one of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. And so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Now listen to Thomas. But Thomas said to them, unless I see, now get the progression here. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, got to see him, and put my finger where the nails were, now it's the finger, and put my hand into his side from seeing it to touching it with his finger to, to, to stick in his hand in the wound in his side, he says, I will not believe. What did Thomas just say? I want to see. I want the evidence. Show me the evidence. Now, I I don't want to be insensitive here because there are people who are left-brained, and when the evidence is presented, they will believe. They will believe. So I'm not saying that all people who look for evidence, for proof that what God says in his word is true, I'm not saying they're going to hell. I'm not saying that. But there are people. I mean, there are some who won't believe. They want evidence, and even though the evidence is right in front of them, they're still not going to believe because they don't want to believe. Some say, show me God is real. I just want to know God is real. I mean, folks, there is such a thing called common grace. And common grace is God's grace to all people, not just believers. I mean, common grace is the fact that we live. 
Um, we have what we need to live. It rains, the sun shines, crops grow, we eat. That's all common grace. It's from God. It shows us, that all shows us God is real. And the point I'm making is some people never, ever have enough evidence, no matter how much evidence you give them. And they don't want to believe. They don't want to believe. That's the big deal. They don't want to believe. And I got five points about those people here. Here's what they don't want. Number one, they don't want God calling the shots in their lives. Why, why do people demand more evidence? Tell me God is real. Show me the creation. All that stuff. Number one, they don't want God calling the shots in their lives. They want to make their own rules and not feel guilty. Here's the third one. They don't want to be accountable before God. Because if God made everything, if God is real, they're going to be accountable. Number four, they really want God to be kind of a wimp who doesn't care about sin and lets them do whatever they want. And the last one, they want to believe that no matter what they do, everybody goes to heaven. And so, folks, maybe there's people like that in your life. Maybe you're one of them. But if there's people like that in your life, there comes a point when you stop trying to prove God when you stop trying to prove he's real or you prove his goodness or something like that or his grace and you look that person directly in the eye and you say kindly and in love, nothing I say is going to convince you. You got to say that. And you also say this, I'm going to pray that God will open your heart and let him know you love him, but that's all you can do. You've done what you can. So back to John 20. A week goes by since Thomas had said, I want to see the nail prints, the evidence, or I won't believe. And Jesus appears again. Verse 26, John 20. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said directly to Thomas, well, he said, peace be with you to the whole group. And then he turned to Thomas and he said, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand, put it into my side. And then he said, Stop doubting and believe. Now, I don't think he said that real nicely. Uh, I, I hear Jesus talking to Thomas like a mom who says, stop it right now, young man. That's kind of what he's saying. He says, Thomas, stop doubting and believe. And now you get to verse 28. And these are some of the greatest words in the whole New Testament. I mean, these are quotable. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Standing before Thomas was this man, Jesus, with the marks of crucifixion. Jesus says, come on, Thomas, put your fingers here. Put your, put your fingers right into my side. And I don't think Thomas ever touched the wounds. I don't think he did. I, th I think Thomas was so convicted. But more than convicted, I think he was overjoyed. I think he was overcome with emotion that Jesus was really alive. And when he said this, my Lord and my God, I just see Thomas falling to his knees, just falling to his knees and, and putting his head down and crying tears of repentance and joy. And he says, my Lord and my God. I mean, that is so great. Jesus was who he said he was. Thomas had his life back. That man, that man standing in front of him, was his Lord and his God. He is the God-man. That is God's word. That is God's word. My Lord and my God. Because it's real popular today to say a man named Jesus lived, but he was just a man like Muhammad, like Buddha, a, a way to heaven, but not the way to heaven. And this is God's inspired word, man. That man standing in front of him, this man, Jesus, is the Lord of your life. He's God in the flesh. He's your savior, he's your judge, he's your king. And then Jesus said in verse 29, because you have seen me, you have believed. 
And blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. So let's ask three questions right now. Why we doubt, what we doubt, and what do we do about doubt? Why do we doubt? Number one reason. Number one reason. And you got to be honest. You have these doubts. Number one reason we doubt is because we don't take the word of God seriously enough. And this may be the most important thing you're going to hear today because Jesus said in John 17, 17, and I think on your outline, that's the memory passage for this week. Memorize that. Jesus said, sanctify them by thy truth or by your truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify means set apart. Jesus Christ said, set believers apart from the rest of the world. Sanctify them by what? By your truth. And then he said, your word is truth. See, God is righteous and God is holy And all that means is it's impossible for God to sin and lying is a sin. And since this is his word, follow the logic here. If there is one lie in this book, because this is God's word, if there is one lie, lying is a sin, right? If God has one sin, one error, one contradiction, one anything like that in his word, then he's a liar and he's a sinner And he's not God, and the whole Christian religion has just collapsed. Think of it like this. It is impossible that every word of the Bible is not truth. This is all truth. All truth. Every future event the Bible has ever prophesied or said would happen has happened. I wish I had time to illustrate all that. Um, The philosophies of men. I mean, the Bible has been challenged by philosophies of men. It has always stood the test because man's philosophies die with time. The word stands. Lives are changed by this book every day. The Spirit of God working through this book, man. Lives are so changed, okay? Folks, hear me. This is so important. If you doubt, this is so important. And you all do. If you're honest, if you would get into the Word of God and study it and memorize it and internalize it and let the Lord show you in your life this is truth, what God says really, really works out in your life, that He is faithful to everything He says, I can't tell you how if you would do it every day. You'd live with confidence. You'd have hope, man, like you never had before. And when doubt assaults you, you will know what you believe. When you're challenged and doubt assaults you, man, you get into this thing, you memorize this baby, you internalize that thing, you are going to know, man, you're going to be able to face life when doubt assaults you, and, and you'll know what you believe. And you will have an arsenal of truth against it. So one reason people doubt is not enough of the Word of God in their lives. Another reason people doubt is the devil. And I don't want to make a big deal out of the devil because the devil wants us to make a big deal out of him. I I deliberately try not to talk about the devil in messages because when you talk about the devil, you're not focusing on Jesus. You're focusing on Satan and Satan just loves it every time you talk about him because he wants to be the center of attention. But you got to deal with reality too. Devils, fallen angels, are emissaries of the prince of demons, Satan, and they're real. And the Father in heaven allows people, allows them into people's lives. And devils want to destroy you, and they want to make you as miserable as possible. And they do cause people to doubt. I'm looking at John 8:44. This is what the devil is all about. Jesus speaking to the chief priest. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. Now listen to this. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth because there's no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language because he is a liar and he is the father of lies. So Jesus said the devil is a murderer and a liar and he wants to murder you with lies. 
And here's my point. Devils want to murder you. They want to make you fearful through lies. They want you to represent the Christian life as something nobody else would want. That's called robbing you of your witness. And they will make you doubt the love of God, the faithfulness of God, the nearness, the power of God, the promise of his word. And man, you got to know how to pray. When you're doubting, well, I tell you when, you, when you're doubting like that, you got to know how to pray. You go right to the Father. And here's what you do. You don't claim any power or authority of your own. You, you got to understand this. You are no match for devils. Folks, you are not a, he's a supernatural being, a schemer, the Bible says, with wisdom way beyond your wisdom and knowledge, way beyond you, okay? Not the wisdom of God, but we are no match for him. And you pray if, make sure you say if, if this doubt, whatever I, or this, he's trying to kill you, kill you with lies. If this is from the devil, you say, then Father, surround me with your angels, surround me with angelic protection and dispel these doubts. The evil one is trying to murder me. Say that to the Father. He's trying to bring me down and make me fearful and weak and ineffective. And then you pray, reveal yourself and all your power, grace and love. Come to my aid. It's a cry for help. Okay, another reason we doubt is self-pity. That's the third reason we doubt. First, lack of the word in our lives. Number two, satanic attack. Thirdly, I believe is self-pity. I believe this is a big one too. Now understand, I'm speculating. Like I said, I've read commentaries about Thomas, heard this preached, and the commentaries say that, that, that Thomas wasn't there when Jesus appeared the first time because he was off somewhere. And this is a probably, probably feeling sorry for himself. And just notice when he was feeling sorry for himself, he missed the Lord. He missed Jesus saying to his disciples, peace be with you. I'm sending you on a mission, that great challenge as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. And see, because of his self-pity, he missed the best God had to offer. Think of your self-pity like this. It's all about me. Maybe Thomas says, I devoted my life to him. Then he died. Poor me. What now? What about me? That is the nature of self-pity. And he missed Jesus' appearance. In self-pity, all you see is what you don't have, not all the ways you are blessed out of your socks. And you doubt, oh, does God love me? Other people come out of their troubles. Other people get jobs. Other people have great marriages. Does God love me as much as them? And some people say doubt is not a sin. Come on, that's nonsense. Doubt is a sin. You need to go to the cross with your doubt. And I'm not going to blame the devil for my self-pity. That's my flesh. That's my flesh. But this is so neat, man. This is, I love this. This is neat, 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 neat. I mean, Jesus came to Thomas. I mean, he let him know his sin. She let him know his sin. He said, stop, he said, stop doubting and believe. You, you, you seen and believe. Blessed are those who haven't seen and they still believe. That was a gentle re rebuke. But the neat thing is Jesus came to him and said in so many words, I know, I know you're doubting. I know you're on the bottom rung of your ladder. But he said, you're mine. He said in so many words, you're mine, and I love you. And you had this downtime in your life, and you may have, my, and you have, may have more downtimes, but you are mine forever. Listen, Jesus will come to you by the Holy Spirit, like he did to Thomas, in your weakness, and make you stronger. In your doubts, in your downtimes, you cry out like I just asked you to cry out, or I just suggested you cry out. I tell you, you come out like that, and Jesus is going to come to you in your downtimes, man. And he's going to make you stronger, because if you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, Thomas became a powerful preacher in India. And when he went to India, Buddhism, Hinduism, and Islam, were already, they already had a foothold, man. They were already established. And he went into this place in India, and he dispelled that darkness with the truth. And as you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, he had, he had thousands of people listening and following him, and the, and the way they killed him. And here's, how, here's what the Book of Martyrs says. They had like pygmy people 
who had their spears, like Gulliver's Island or something like that, or Gull- whatever it is, and, and they just speared him to death until his, you couldn't recognize his body. His body was sheer mush. But I'll tell you what, he died for the Lord. And I'll tell you something else, man. He has a new body with the Lord today, right now. So we've seen why we doubt a lack of scripture in our lives. That, that's the biggie. Satanic influence and self-pity. And I'm sure there's more reasons we doubt. Now you ask, what do we doubt? We ha- Again, you've got to be honest here. You've got to be so honest. You have to admit you doubt. And here's another one. Some people doubt life after death. Don't tell me you don't doubt life after death. Of course you do. But I remember one time preaching on doubt. And a bunch of people came up after church and said, man, I am so glad you preached about that and talked about that because I know what the Bible says about life after death, but I still get bolts of fear running through me when I think about death. So people doubt life after death. Ever doubt your salvation? Oh, this sin is so bad, God's grace won't cover it. Not this sin. I'm out of his love. The devil loves that one. And I think these are the biggest doubts people have. We doubt God's personal love for us. We doubt life after death. We doubt his control. We doubt our salvation. I'm sure there's more. But remember, all that comes from our lack of involvement in his word, from demonic spirits, and from our own self-pity. So what do you do about doubt? First of all, ladies and gentlemen, you've got to be honest about it in prayer. God, what you that, that's the first way you attack doubt. Number one, man, you are so honest about it. I mean, I look at the Psalms. I keep coming back to the Psalms. But the guys who wrote these things are so transparent. And the Psalms are most all of them are prayers. You've got to pray the Psalms. These are all God the Holy Spirit inspired. Psalms, in a sense, are God teaching us to pray. And we got to learn from these guys who wrote these things. So I just picked a couple of Psalms here. I'm looking at Psalm 6. Psalm 6, verse 2. A Psalm of David, verse 2. David says, Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I am faint. What's he saying? I'm faint. You know, I'm about to hang him up, man. I don't want to go on. I'm fainting. That's what he's saying there. He's laying it on the table. I'm faint. And look at verse 3 of Psalm 6. My soul is in anguish. And look at this. How long? Ever say anything like that? How long is this going to go on, Lord? I mean, that is so real. You pray these babies, I'll tell you. How long, oh Lord, how long? Tell me you don't wonder about that. Where are you, God? Are you real? How long is this going to go on? I just jumped to one verse in Psalm 38, 17, where David writes, For I am about to fall, and my pain is ever with me. I mean, that's about as honest as you can get. I'm about to fall. About to faint, he said in Psalm 6. Ever pray anything like that? That is transparency. And when you say, I am about to faint, I am about to fall, and cry out for mercy, man, I'll tell you. And you're that honest with God, and you say, God, I don't know where this is coming from. My flesh devils, but this is how I feel. That's when help begins. So you got to be honest. And here is the next way to handle your doubts. And you got to understand this, man. You don't let your feelings govern how you act. This is a principle for all of life, man. I try and discipline myself to this. You act on what you know, not on what you feel. That is so that is that is so important. You act on what you know, not on what you feel. Act on what you know, not on what you feel. Act on what you know is truth, not on what you feel. When you doubt anything about God, you go to this. You go to the Word of God, and you say, this is real, not what I'm feeling. Feelings can be generated by so much stuff, including self-pity. You go right here and say, this is real, not what I'm feeling. You go to what you know. You know. That's why we talked about the Bible's truth. You go to you know it's truth. I, I just thought about Genesis 16. I mean, this you, you, you go to truth, folks. You're feeling vacated by God, okay? So you go to Genesis 16. Sarah, Abraham's wife, says... And she's kind of feeling very bad. Oh, I'll never get pregnant. 
then God promised me you an heir. No, I'm never going to give you that heir. So maybe my servant girl, Hagar, can. Go have an affair with Hagar and get her pregnant and you'll get your heir, see? Now, Abraham was a man of great faith. But once in a while, he was stupid because he did that. And that's not showing disrespect because I'm stupid too a lot of times. And now Hagar is showing, you know, his servant girl, Sarah's servant girl. And Sarah throws her out. She's jealous. And Hagar runs out into the wilderness. And she's out there in the wilderness, man. And she is very pregnant and very alone and very hungry and very lost. I mean, Hagar has no idea where she is. She just ran, 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 ran. And then you get to 16.7 of Genesis and it says, the angel of the Lord. And that is a name in the Old Testament for the Son of God. The Son of God is called the angel of the Lord with the cat capital L. And so this is the son of God found Hagar, found her lost alone near a spring in the desert. Now that's the truth. Don't tell me you haven't felt lost or alone or wandering or in this whole deal all by yourself. There is the truth. She is out in the middle of nowhere. And the angel of the Lord, the son of God, came right where she was, man. He knew where she was all the time. Psalm writer after psalm writer after psalm writer cries out, my God, my Lord, my deliverer, my rock, my, 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 check out all the my's in the Psalms. I mean, what did Thomas say? My Lord and my God, right? Maybe you have waves of doubt about eternal life. And when you have waves of doubt about eternal life, you know, is it really going to happen? Again, you say, those are my feelings, man, and you go to truth. And there is so much, so much truth about eternal life. I just picked on John 14 here, I'll tell you, where Jesus says in John 14, 3, I'm going there to prepare, I'm going to heaven to prepare a place for you. And then he says, now listen, folks, and if I go and prepare a place for you, now get this, I will come back. That is truth. And I will take you to myself. This is the heart of God, this heart of God, so that you may be with me where I am. That is the heart of God. John chapter 10, my sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me. Now listen, Jesus said this, this is truth. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish and nobody can snatch them out of my hand. That is truth, not your feelings. And let's say you feel that you can lose your salvation. Well, let me go back over this again, okay? Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Hear that, never perish. Nobody can ever snatch them out of my hand. He goes on to say, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of his hand either. I and the father are one. So you think, you know, I, I, I'm so sinful, I've lost my salvation. That is absolute nonsense. God doesn't do that. God's faithful. So you go to the word of truth. Or you think the world is so evil and God's lost control. You know, Genesis 2.16 says that God gave man a free will. All you got to do is go to truth, man. And God will let free will run its course. And everything that's happening in the world today, it says man's free will running its course. Is God out of control? You got to look at Ephesians 1.9. And he made known to us, Paul writes, the mystery of his will, which he purposed in Christ. Now, verse 10, now listen. His will to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Now, what is that saying? 
that's saying that you have a free will. Man has a free will that's going to run its course, but God is bringing everything together under one head, even Christ Jesus. It's all going toward the purpose that he wants. And that is truth, not your feelings. That's how you deal with doubt, man. You're honest with God about your doubts. You don't trust your feelings. You trust the word of God. And then you act on the truth. You don't act on your feelings. One more way to fight doubt. Build on your past. You got to build on your past. Yeah, let's say you doubt God cares about you. You know what you got to do? Think about one time that something happened in your life and only God knew about that. You've all had them. I call them defining moments. Only God knew. Oh, God, where are you? Think about those times where something happened, nobody else knew. You had talked to God about it, and only God knew. Think about that. I mean, you think the world's out of control, your life is out of control. Look at, um, look at times your life was out of control. God brought you through the whole thing. And, and in this process, you know, you learned a few necessary lessons. See, and one, what you call out of control, and this is where we are in this country today, folks, is God giving us no recourse but to cry out to him and to trust him. And if you ever doubt God's love, last comment, just go to a cross. I'm serious about this. If you ever doubt the love of God, you've got to look at the cross. I want to end here with this. This is the most important thing. Stand and look at a cross and dwell on the cross and let its meaning overcome you. So today we've seen Thomas the disciple. He wanted to see the evidence, and we've seen that all the evidence in the world is going to satisfy some people. We've looked at why we doubt, lack of truth, demons, self-pity, what we doubt, how we deal with it. We're honest before God. We, we act not on what we feel, but on truth, and we build on what God's already done in our lives. I just pray these words have been a blessing to you. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School. 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.